Welcome to the Marketer as Philosopher podcast. Our goal is to help you completely re-envision your role and your work as a marketer or entrepreneur. Now, here are your hosts, Flint McLaughlin, joining us from the rugged mountains of Wolf Creek, Montana, and Daniel Burstein, joining us from the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Marketer as Philosopher with Flint McLaughlin and Daniel Burstein. I want to warn you right up front. This is going to be a little different than most marketing content you hear. We're not going to tell you the latest industry news or talk about snazzy new technology you can buy. Our focus is squarely on you, the marketer. We're going to discuss the fundamental nature of marketing, its role in society and human interactions, how we as marketers inform human choice, how you can become a better marketer, and really how we can be the most fulfilling versions of ourselves. This very first episode, we're going to focus on one word, becoming. That one word seems so simple, yet it means so much. Who are you trying to become as a marketer? What transformation are you hoping to drive in your own life and your own career? And how does that affect you as a person? Joining me right now and always is Flint McLaughlin, the CEO and Managing Director of Mech Labs. Flint has been studying human decision-making for decades, especially as it relates to marketing, working with real marketers who have real conversion objectives and seeing how sometimes seemingly subtle shifts in messaging can help customers better perceive value. How's it going up there in Montana right now, Flint? Well, it's warm for a Montana summer. (laughs) We're breaking 90 here in Florida, so I think we can beat you there. (laughs) We had 18 inches up in the mountain just at the end of May, but it's good now. That's beautiful. Uh, and just so you know who I am, my name is Daniel Burstein. I'm the Senior Director of Content and Marketing here at MechLabs Institute of Marketing Sherpa. And I want to start with this question. Oh, no, me. you don't get away with it that easy, Dan. Oh. Dan's worked with me for 12 years, and he's actually my professional foil. He's the guy that tells <laughs> me my copy is wrong and argues with me on all the key marketing points, which we value in our culture because it's how we develop the hypotheses that we test. Dan is both experienced and he has the intuition that we look for. I've often said here there are no expert marketers, only experienced marketers and experts at testing. Dan is experienced, which is code for saying he's getting old. <laughs> I, have, I have to admit he has a little more hair than I do, but I don't think it's going to last much longer. Not much, yeah. <laughs> Not so, much. So here we are. We've threatened to do this together for a long time. Because there's a lot of things that when we, you know, when we, we write them or speak in a one-way monologue, it doesn't, it doesn't bring out the same depth that happens in a robust discussion. And we want to uncover things in this conversation that we can't do in, say, a classic video from one of our teaching sessions. Yeah, Go those ahead, videos Dan. on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, they're meant to be quick. They're meant to grab your attention. And we're going to get to the new Fast Class video series for just a moment. But a lot of these things sometimes... You know, as marketers, it's kind of like like a fine bottle of wine, right? You got to let it breathe a little, right? Or it's just trying yeah. to cram knowledge into our head, get it get it in right away. You know, it's kind of like the shot, right? But it's well, like the, a fine bottle of wine. You got to let it breathe. You got to think about these things and let them kind of un- unpack. Classic progress in thinking has come from what some call the dialectic or what someone else called dialogue, whether you're listening to Hegel or you're listening to Socrates. And there's not enough of either in marketing. We talk. We talk a lot in marketing, I say, in various groups. But the issue is typically there's an influential person in the room who overrides everyone else, and you don't have that natural, organic type conversation that leads to creative hypotheses that can be tested. Healthy departments have that, but many do not. And we underestimate 
you know, the depth of the business that we're in. But back to you, Dan. Well, let's let's talk about that testing for a moment, because as you mentioned, I've been here 12 years and I still remember 12 years down the road. I remember the job opening ad I saw that got me to apply for what originally marketing experiments. That's where I originally applied. And, and in that job opening, it had uh, about the mission statement. And we said, we have a seven word mission statement that's simple but not easy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm screwing it up. Let me, let me read it directly. It's very good. It's very good. I'm already, uh, no, I'm already no, no. getting away from say my notes. Again. I'm already getting away, away from my notes. I want to hear that one more time, Dan. So when we <laughs> argue later, I'll be able to draw back up. You'll be right. But no. If you're here, a, go ahead. Here we go. We have a seven-word mission statement that is simple but not easy to discover what really works in optimization. And I remember... I remember that still because that really struck me. I had been working in marketing over a decade at that point, and I had never heard anyone talk about discovery and discovering like you're talking about testing. Like in my experience, and I'm sad to admit this now, our job as consultants or as an agency, we're supposed to walk into a room. We're supposed to sound really smart because we had all the answers, you know, because that's why they're paying us, right? That's why they're going to pay us, you know, that big money for that, that contract. But where did you, Flint, first, you know, back so many years ago, decide that, no, what we need in marketing is more discovery, not more, you know, boastfulness? Well, when we, when we thought about that mission statement, there wasn't an optimization industry. When we first began, no one was testing with the Internet. It, testing was something in direct response. Advertising was very expensive, Guthy Rinker and those old school organizations did it. But the internet offered a new way to think about testing because it was fast. It was less expensive. And we began to see the opportunity. And so we pushed for people to do it. But in the old days, there was no budget. And uh, there wasn't even an appetite. It took education before people woke up to the power of it all. And beneath all of that, you know, uh, I, I, I hasten to say this because testing is not a wonderful thing. It's a necessary evil. If I could get to the answer with a phone call, I would. But the problem is sometimes there's a million people and you can't call a million people. In a direct relationship like sales, you may be able to get to the answer immediately. But using a technical term, a stochastic sampling size, allows you to sample an audience and understand what they're thinking. And especially in the internet, to study their behavior as opposed to what they say in a focus group. So testing transformed everything in the digital world. And... In those days, uh, it, was, uh, it was a lonely, I felt like a lonely guy on top of the mountain saying, we need to test and uh, trying to find people interested in doing so. The first brand was Marketing Experiments. And that became Mech Labs. Many people don't know that, but Mech comes from M-E-C. That is the initials of marketingexperiments.com. We knew that we were going beyond experiments and even beyond marketing. So the lab was born and that became the institute. And here we are today. Yeah, you know, I saw on a Facebook post the other day that called you the godfather of CRO. I like that, the godfather of conversion rate optimization, because <laughs> you were doing it way back when. But let me ask you, so when we're talking about this, so we're talking about, I mean, that's, a, a, like I said, a significant change, a fundamental shift in, in how people act. And I, I kind of got thinking about it because, so this new series of fast classes, when we were going back and forth on the headlines, I think we had something more traditional at first for the title of it. And, you know, we could have gone, if you look at a lot of class out there, it's like, you know, get the marketing secrets to growth hack your revenue or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Get, get this or that. Yes, but you yes. came up with, and I like, I can't take credit for it because this is all you become a master at creating and optimizing high converting web pages. And that's what the new fast class series is where again, you get a lot of quick um, ideas for improving your marketing. And, and here's where we're going to unpack some of those. But I want to talk to you about that headline because as a writer, 
every word matters to me. That's why I didn't like fumbling the <laughs> statement earlier. But <laughs> as a writer, every word matters to me. And I, that word really struck me when you said it right away, right? The first time you told me, become, become. What does that word mean to you, become, when you're talking about marketers? Well, I mean, it has philosophic roots. It's ontology, but it's, uh, to get personal, there's so much out there about marketing, but not enough about the marketer. And the key to transformed marketing is a transformed marketer. And you're not going to see that just studying techniques. Right now, I've been laying out the new series, and the first the whole first episode is about the marketer themselves, because if you don't overcome your blind spot and learn how to become, um, how to transcend the limitations of the classic approach to marketing, you'll never achieve the results that you see in some of the experiments and tests. So the shift needs to take place in us before it will take place in our copy. We are our own worst enemy sometimes, but we're also underappreciated. Everybody wants to cut the marketing budget uh, when times are hard. And marketers are often underappreciated and undervalued because when they play their role right, as Peter Drucker said, sales becomes redundant. The marketer's job isn't, you know, to make claims. They foster a conclusion, and that's what powers the, the yes, the decision. Well, and w without that decision and without marketing, no one else has a job in that organization. That's how I feel. You know, you could walk walk through that building, walk through your headquarters, walk through the factory, get on a, a bus if your company, you know, dri drives buses. Everyone has a job because of the marketer, right? In a society of choice, people only have a job because a customer is saying yes to that company, right? Drucker was a genius on this. I mean, he wrote over 50 years, over 70 years ago, things that today are still relevant. And I wonder why more people aren't screaming his name. He is the greatest business philosopher of the last century. And he thought through these things and he realized that marketing, as he said, was not another department. It was fundamental to everyone in the organization. The goal of the, CD, the, goal of the CEO or the founder is to create a customer. And that requires marketing. Most of us don't understand the difference between marketing and sales, but, but marketing, uh, the reflection uh, uh, in marketing powers the action in sales. The marketer fosters conclusions, and the salesperson can now take those conclusions and ask for actions. It's very different. Sometimes in direct response on the internet, on a website, they come together without a person, as a salesperson uh, in the middle. But marketing is the work to influence choice. We often don't realize that. We try to mandate it. We, we claim people should do this. We tell them to do that. We treat them like sheep. But great marketers quietly foster conclusions. Yeah, is that why you talk? So we're talking about the first uh, Fast Class episode. That way, you there's these two words you used. I thought they were beautiful because we hear a lot about customer centricity, right? Like put the customer in the middle and I guess they're targeting you know, shoot at them a bunch or whatever it is. But you mentioned these two words, customer supremacy. I really like that. What did you mean by customer supremacy? Well, I think that a customer, despite all the rhetoric, and every marketer should be sensitive to rhetoric because we're drowning in it. Businesses are always saying the right things, but the right things don't align with who they are. And that well, let's help will, people understand first, too, like what, what is the classic root of rhetoric? Where, where does that come from? I know I've heard you and Austin talk about this before. I don't well, think most people understand this. Yeah, the, the greatest works in marketing were not written in the last 100 years. I mean, 100 years ago, Daniel, I think Daniel Starch, and I can, you know, then there's the f names we all know, like Ogilvy and prior to him, uh, Claude Hopkins. I'm not as big a Hopkins fan now as I used to be once I really got into his work. But I can tell you that uh, great works were written a thousand years before that. In fact, 
even longer. Aristotle's work on rhetoric broke all sorts of story down into a classic three-act formulation. By the way, marketing is a story with three acts. And Aristotle was relevant then, and he's relevant now. And he's not the only one, but the great works have survived the test of time. And if we get deeply into them, we can get deeply into ourselves. And once we get deeply into ourselves, we can discover the path uh, to high performance. It starts and moves through us. There's only, uh, well, there's only four elements in marketing. The sender, the receiver, the message, and the means. And it, it's incumbent on the sender, that's you, the marketer, to encode the message so it can be received. So the, the means might be your voice. The means might be the web page. It might be the banner ad on the, you know, it might be the television commercial. But there's a message and there's a means, and then there's the receiver, just those four. And when you understand that elegant simplicity, you can, first of all, prioritize where it all begins. It starts with the sender. And so if you don't transform yourself, you're not going to be able to transform what happens afterwards. And I, putting the customer first and making the customer about that and putting that discovery element, I think these are ways to transform ourselves, right? Well, that, can, let, let me jump on what you said because it's profound. Sure. When you start to transform yourself, this begins by recognizing the superiority, uh, the superiority of the customer in that mix. You have to empty yourself because you start with a natural blind spot. You're full of your own self-interest. Mm -hmm. And the marketer must figure out how to, how to take that self-interest and defer it so that the customer is first. And there's the word superiority. As the customer becomes first, then suddenly the offer can be seen through the customer's eyes. And magic can happen. Have you ever wondered why people who get paid, I've seen these. I worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. I watched the New York Times, a friend of mine, I know what he made. I, I'm not going to say, but it was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I saw him produce a horrific headline. And I said to myself, that man's brilliant. It's, he's not, this headline didn't, it's not so bad because he's overpaid or he's not smart. It's because like me, unless I have a technique or a way to overcome my self-interest, I can't see the copy through the eyes of the prospect. We laughed together after we tested the new headline and learned together. And he exhibited a quality that I admire. There are no great marketers who don't discover humility. They don't decide to be humble, by the way, Dan. They decide <laughs> to be honest. Right. When you're honest, you'll get humble. You don't have to worry about humility. If you're, if you're honest with your copy, if you're honest with the data, if you're honest about your results, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to humiliate yourself. You're going to humble yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk very often, and especially if, you know, when people see these videos, I think it's important we talk about the results and the bottom line and the revenue increases and the conversion increases and all of that, of course, is important. It's why we have jobs. It's doing the right thing for our companies. But I think the one thing, and this is what I want to ask you about that I think is sometimes overlooked is to me and I, others I've talked to also is this approach of discovery and testing and hypothesis and experiments and customer supremacy and learning from the customer it's a lot more fulfilling. So, you know, earlier in my career, the, the closest you'd get to a customer test, so I, I did an article, I do like ads in the Wall Street Journal, right? And so the copywriter before me, their ad would pull for six weeks. Like that's how they would determine success. If the phone was ringing 
And to a lesser extent later, like, you know, people were visiting the website. If the phone was ringing, okay, week one, week two, week three, we don't need to replace the ad yet. You know, week five, week six, it's falling off. Okay, <laughs> we, we got to stop running that ad. So when I did, I'm going to brag for a second. When I went in and I did that ad, six months, I got it pulling for six months. That was exciting. That was this kind of small level of excitement. So yes. It was more about me though, right? Because yes. I felt like, well, I'm pretty smart. I wrote a good headline, right? I wrote a good ad. <laughs> but the exciting thing, when you go that step deeper, now you got to write two headlines or three headlines or three ads or, you know, different hypotheses and actually really think about that customer and learn about them. I mean, that's fun. That's fun. Learning about other people, to me at least, that's fun. I mean, that, well, how is it for you, Flint? You're exploring the mystery of the mind. Now, <laughs> this sounds, I know, strange, but uh, I went into this field because I thought it was the most important field in all of the universe. And if that sounds preposterous, I'll tell you this, I grew up in a part of the time at least, in, a, in the bush. My father was a missionary in the Yukon Territory, and he lived his whole life for what he thought was the best way to invest himself in his energy. And I don't agree with him on everything, but he is my best friend. And he did impress upon me the importance of living purposefully. And I, I think it seems so radical to say that, if, particularly if your dad was a pastor, that, oh, marketing is the place where you can do the most. But here's what occurred to me. The whole world rotates on this word, yes. In a, in a social dynamic, nothing is accomplished until there is a yes. Yes is what drives everything. Rome didn't rule with legions. The legions had to first say yes to the emperor, and often they didn't, and there were all sorts of troubles in their history. The power to achieve yes, the kind of yes that leads to metanoia or a conversion, is explosive. It's dynamic. And in my mind, if I could understand why I said yes, I could untangle the knot inside of myself and I could do something meaningful with impact in the world. So I discovered, hey, I can commercialize that research and pay for it. And that's how the lab was born. But ultimately, as strange as it may sound, if you were to ask me today, you get to start over. What do you want to do that could have the greatest impact with your life. I want to study one question. Why do people say yes? And when I take those answers to that question and apply them, I am marketing. Let me ask you, so you use that word metanoia. So that's a Greek word for conversion. If we don't have many Greek listeners on, I'm, I'm, I speak fluently, <laughs> but uh, so I want to ask you, we talk about conversion. So we, it's usually flipped on the customer. Let's get the customer to convert. Let's get them to say yes. Let's get them to say yes. to sign up to our email newsletter or buy our product. What have you seen in the marketer who's converted, who's changed, essentially conversion is going from one state to another, who's, con, who's converted, who's made that transformation, who's made that shift from this idea of, hey, we know everything. We're, you know, the high paid marketer. We're the highest paid person in the room to like, hey, let me shift. Let me go perhaps a marketing leader in front of a team and saying, we don't know everything. We need to take a different approach. We need to learn. Can you, you don't have to name any names or brands, but can I you have think seen of a good, those men, good example? And those women. What can I, we learn I, from them? I met one in Canada that just, once he saw, he changed everything. One of the greatest leaders I've ever seen. And, uh, and I can just share this with you. Metanoia itself, you know, the whole idea here is to change from one stasis to another, from a prospect to a customer, for instance. But that requires you to believe something, because before you decide, you must believe. Indeed, conclusions precede decisions. And so we're dealing with the, the hardwiring of the mind as you get into this sort of fascinating subject. 
And what I have discovered is that before you can produce powerful conversions in others, you have to experience one in yourself. Now, I'm not talking religion at all. This word predates professional marketing of the 20th and 21st century. But its significance has been there for millenniums in the literature, and it will be significant millenniums from now. And so for me, what we're looking at is what is that process that unfolds in the mind that leads someone not to just any yes, but that special yes that changes everything or lest something important, something meaningful. And the marker who starts to study that is going to discover something ironically is happening at the same time. They're changing. The revelation associated with that honest, genuine search is shocking. But I'll tell you this, to get back to your earlier point, I got up this morning at 3 a.m. and started writing the next episode. I wanted to get in my, listen, I'm on a mountain, 13 and a half miles back up on the mountain, off grid in the Rocky Mountains, and getting down the mountain is problematic at best. I have a special vehicle, special built for it, and if I could have this morning, it would have been the wrong thing, dangerous and timing was wrong. But I, I got so excited about 345, I wanted to jump into that, into this Jeep Gladiator that we had custom built and rush all the way to the Capitol Hill and where I am now into our studio so I could start working here with the internet. I don't have internet on the mountain, <laughs> which is a blessing in its own way. It gives me time to think. But the things that were rolling through me were, were firing up my soul. And I'm 56 years old. I've been doing this for a long time. But I felt like 18 this morning. I was alive and I was on fire. And I came to the office with purpose. I don't want to waste a day, Dan, in some drab, deadline-chasing, frantic activity that steals the essence of my soul. I do this work because I believe in it, and I'm not, I'm not interested in marketing nearly as much as I'm interested in the marketer. And believe me, every human being has to market to survive. But the professional marketer in commercial application, that's an interesting place to focus because it's like a laboratory and the lessons you learn there apply to life everywhere. Yeah, I think it's one really interesting thing you said is um, when when marketers are focused on this and they're focused on the yes, it starts to change them as well. Because one thing I think when, when you say I think about med students and you learn about med students who they're starting to learn about diseases and then they're worried that they have every disease they're learning about. Right. Yeah. So we can yeah. go in as marketers, you know, we can think, <laughs> oh, we'll take this approach or that approach and it won't affect. We'll we'll fool the customers on the other side. It won't affect us. Right. But what yeah. we're working on, you can't help it. There's a change in you. I remember. The reason I bought a house when I was, you know, fairly young was because I was working on marketing communities and homes and I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. researching and I'm writing. I'm so sold and I come over to my wife, we got to buy a house. We got to buy a house. Yes. Yes. I've watched the transformation, Jim. I've watched the transformation, you, Dan, and I've seen uh, the increasing depth in your copy. We've talked about it. I've seen the depth in our conversations. We... It's interesting, Dan and I probably vote differently and we probably come in some ways, you know, from very different perspectives, but it doesn't matter because we, we share values that are evolving in us from this hunger and from this hunt and they're transforming both of us in ways that bring us together, not apart. They bring us closer together and uh, it makes me grateful to have you leading on our team, Dan. Thank you. It has been a fun transformation, I got to admit, and I hope, and that's really... 
why these podcasts, how they came about is me and Flint would have these conversations and, yeah. and, and this is where I'm going to give you an email address at the end if you want to give some feedback. And I just said, people in the marketing community, they're not talking about this. They're talking about marketing automation and databases and all these things, but they're not talking about how can you change who you become, who you yeah. become, and then yeah. how that affects how you approach a customer. And that affects really your entire life, right? I mean, if you can just go and say, I'm going to be in this office for this set amount of time, and I'm going to you know, work with these customers that I don't even know, I'm going to treat them like numbers in a database, and I'm going to you know, get revenue coming in, and then I'm going to walk out, and I'm going to be a family man or woman, or I'm going to do whatever, you know, and, and think that it has no effect on you. I mean, I just, I just don't You're understand so right, that. Man. Technology could have been used in a way that I think we're missing. Instead of transforming the way we work and making it more human, more personal, we use it to make it look more personal. We can fake insert names and we can study your patterns and leverage that information against you. But we've lost the way to bring the uh, spirituality. I mean, it's in every aspect of our life. And to your point, you, you you can't be a drone in the daytime and a human being in the night. And I think there is, uh, there's a need for us to rethink what we're doing and why we're doing it. And by the way, especially what we shouldn't be doing. Because a, a lot of activities taking place in marketing right now need to stop. I mean, dead full stop. If I get another LinkedIn person reaching out to me because they could read on there about me and pretend they know me and then ask me to do something for them. I, the last one I got, I felt like shooting myself in the foot with a nail gun. It's oh, like, stop the lying and stop trying to trick me and stop using these tools to invade my life with your, with your message, because I'll never listen to what you have to say if I don't like how you say it. Or, or the approach that you take. Here, here's my favorite is the no reply email. The no reply email where we're going to send you an email. We're going to invade your inbox yeah, with our offer. Right, you right. try to reply back. And it's almost like we're having a conversation. You start talking fluent. I'm just like, walk away. I, I don't even care. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you can just send it to no reply yeah. at Daniel Burst. I don't, I don't even, it doesn't even bother me. Dan, I don't so, have time, but I'll tell you where I see it also. Marketers talk now in a language completely different than the language they talk when they leave work. We're yes. the world's leading ex. You brag about yourself. <laughs> you make all kinds of unbi- you know, claims that are, sketchy and you 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 write in that voice and then you leave work and and go off with a friend and sit down and have a drink and you talk in a whole different way when the way we talk in our copy doesn't match the way we talk in our lives people feel the disconnect it's uh it's a symptom of a deeper problem which is again why marketers themselves need to experience a transformation, a change in how they see themselves and their work. When that change comes, you see the change in results further downstream. I've seen it over and over again. And it is probably what inspires me the most. As you get older, you love to see these these marketers around you who are catching the vision and Mm. beginning to actualize it. It, And it, it drives you to do more and... Without it, I don't think I'd have the energy to get up and come here and do these things. Yeah, well, when you mention in your life, too, I'm going to ask you one, one last question. Because we're all marketers, but we're all people, too. And I can't help but look at kind of, like I said, what we're doing at work and communication and trying to apply it in my own life. And, and something that always struck me that you've mentioned, and it really strikes me at home, is you can't force people into a decision. 
right? No. You really got to kind of coax them to it. And where I see it, where I struggle most, I'll tell you, this is where I want your, your advice. And I think everyone listening could probably help where I struggle most is I have two teenage daughters and I love them. <laughs> They're wonderful human beings. They're fantastic people. They're already, my 13 year old is already far more mature than I am. So it's very difficult to have a conversation because I so much, there's a great line of big Pearl Jam fam. Eddie Vedder has a great line. The wisdom that the old can't give away. Like I cannot give this wisdom away. I cannot, I try to, you know, shove it down the throat and say, well, not listen. So I wonder you're, you've had, you have children a little older than me. I wonder if there's anything you've learned from marketing and from that study into communicating with your children. Again, trying not to, what we do as marketers, just jam it down their throat and, you know, give them the information versus trying to really coax them and entice them to understand it. You know, my, my best friend is my dad and he's 87 years of age and everything I've learned about being a father, I've learned from him. And uh, I remember I was just talking a day ago to someone who asked this question about a specific problem. And I said, I heard my dad one time when I was a boy and he was giving advice to another, to another leader about his children. The man was having troubles. And my dad said, something that he didn't know I heard. And I went away thinking, you know, that's so true. And it never left me. He said to his friend, I'm going to make a name here. He said, Clyde. Uh, actually, that was the real name, but you don't know the last <laughs> name. <laughs> don't know the last name. <laughs> he said, Clyde. He said, you're trying to get their head. You got to get their heart. He said, you win their heart first and the head will follow. And I thought about that and thought, wow, my dad, he got my heart first. And he didn't try to shove into my head all the things he believed and all the things I need to do and, you know, his doctrine, so to speak, of life. He made me, he changed me forever in the way. And I don't know how he did it because his father abandoned him. I don't know where this came from. I never knew that. Yeah. It, to be candid, his father sold him for $300. Oof. Yeah. And yet he became a great father. That's so in marketing, whether we believe it or not, the heart comes through. You try, you put yourself in a situation where you, your heart to really help is released in your copy and it'll sound different. And it's true with our kids too. That's great. That's awesome. I love that. Good advice for everyone listening. Well, taken enough of your time, Flynn. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank you, Flint, for sharing your wisdom today. And we're going to have hopefully many more of these episodes where we share that wisdom. So we have talked a lot here about customer supremacy. And I think we'd be total hypocrites if we didn't also believe in listener supremacy. So as always, we welcome your feedback. You can email us at editor at marketingsherpa.com. That's not a no reply email address. You can actually type in editor at marketingsherpa.com. And Dan gets the email. By and the I way. will Dan. get that email and I will write back to you. And, and uh, you can also, uh, you know, the new course that we're talking about that uh, Flynn is producing with Mech Labs, you can take as much or as little as you want. It's a free course. Take one class, take all the classes. It's called Become a Master at Creating and Optimizing high converting web pages and you can go to mechlabs.com slash fast class to get that m-e-c-l-a-b-s.com slash fast class and as always we have tons of free content to help you improve your marketing at marketingsherpa.com and marketingexperiments.com thanks for joining us flint thank you dan it's an honor and thank you all for listening thank you for joining us on the marketer as philosopher podcast with flint mclaughlin and daniel burstein